Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Because with it being linked to our own sort of identity and really deep self-limiting beliefs that we have, we can't just click our fingers and break the cycle of imposter syndrome, but it's not a lifelong sentence either. Today, I chat with Alison Shamir, who is an imposter syndrome and confidence expert coach. As a speaker and media contributor, she's spent more than 10 years in senior roles across the technology and media sectors. Certified in applied neuroscience and brain health, Alison arms her audience with the knowledge and evidence-based methods grounded in neuroscience to build unshakable confidence, overcome imposter syndrome, and do the deep change work needed to rewire their brain and achieve the success they desire. Alison, it is so wonderful to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Michelle. So happy to be here. So if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It would be imposter syndrome. So I really love elevating that conversation around imposter syndrome, especially because it affects so many of us out there, uh, whether it be male, female, or however you choose to identify. That's the one thing I want us talking more about. What a wonderful topic. So before I ask you a million questions about imposter syndrome, can you give me a definition of what imposter syndrome is for those that have not heard of it before? Sure. Imposter syndrome is when an individual feels like they're going to be exposed as an intellectual fake, phony or fraud, despite evidence of their competence or their success or their accomplishments or their talent or their natural smarts and things like that. So imposter syndrome is a unique type of fear and it blocks the individual from being able to connect or internalise with their success properly. So therefore, we constantly feel like we're not worthy of it and, again, have this niggling feeling or thought in our mind that we're going to be exposed or found out. And that's where the name imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon, as it was first coined in the 1970s, comes from. It's that persistent feeling and that disconnect between who we actually are and what we've achieved versus how we perceive ourselves. So it definitely sits within the fear bucket, but it has its own unique components around it, which make it different to other fears or standard self-doubt. It's interesting because I know like in my life and career that I've felt that many a time and I guess even though it was, you know, first identified in the 70s, I don't think I started hearing about it until the last sort of few years, probably maybe five or six years. And I remember an incredible talk a couple of years ago with Mike Cannon-Brooks and it was the first time I'd actually openly heard a male talk about imposter syndrome and I think that's really important and I'm sure you'll get to that. It's not just a female thing. But what I want to know is why is it something you're so passionate about? Because you do a lot of work in this space in helping people kind of overcome, I guess, diagnose it and overcome imposter syndrome. But why is it why is it something that you feel is so important to talk more about? It's incredibly passionate to me because up until around eight years ago, I had several debilitating spells of imposter syndrome myself. 
And my sort of imposter syndrome, and I, I know we might delve into kind of the where it comes from in people or kind of where it stems from, but often it stems from something that you have been through in your childhood or adolescent years. And I'll, again, share some examples um, if relevant throughout this chat. But for me, I had quite a tumultuous childhood. I suffered a lot of childhood trauma, a lot of emotional and physical abuse growing up. And essentially, I was abandoned by my mother. That could be a whole podcast episode just on its own. But but back to the imposter syndrome. So I developed this self-limiting belief very early on that I wasn't worthy. And as I grew up, that manifested into imposter syndrome as I hit the workforce as a late teen, early 20s. And it started to get more and more debilitating as I grew up and as I became more experienced and, of course, climbed the corporate ladder in my previous life as well. So what really led me to figure out what was going on was a really horrible moment for me that happened eight to nine years ago where I had a severe panic attack that was induced by an episode of imposter syndrome in my office. And it was such a bad experience for me that I actually felt at the time that I was suffering a mental breakdown. And it was highly traumatic at the time. And it really changed the course of my career and life, to be honest with you. And certainly it was the key catalyst to lead me to where I am today. But the driver was what was happening to me at the time. The driver was I felt like I was going crazy. And I knew that I had felt that way before at, at sort of key times. And, and I needed to know what was going on. And that was really the start of the exploratory phase of, to be honest with you, was, was to cure myself. I desperately wanted to not feel like this anymore. I desperately wanted answers. I'm definitely someone who likes to be in control, likes to know what's going on, likes to take action, and I felt out of control. And so that was really the start of a new relationship with imposter syndrome. So off I went researching, huntering, gathering all the information I could and starting the series of eventually sort of curing myself, then taking what I'd learned back into my corporate career, my leadership positions, and kind of helping other people and and just becoming a better leader. And then ultimately it led me to being where I am today, which is a specialist or expert in this area and helping now individuals and organisations across Australia and across the globe, um, you know, learn about imposter syndrome, more importantly, learn how to overcome it so it doesn't, you know, hold them back. Yeah, amazing. Is it true that it disproportionately affects high achieving people? I've read something about that. Is there any truth to that? There used to be truth to that, but with more and more people, I guess, going on the record and more and more specialists and work and research being done around the world, that really has shifted a little bit. So high-performing people are absolutely in a high bracket of experiencing imposter syndrome because in order to experience imposter syndrome, you really do have to be stepping out of your comfort zone. And as we know, high-achieving people are stepping out of their comfort zone. But on the flip side, imposter syndrome can actually block people from really getting to where they want to be at all. So as we now, you know, have more research, work with more people, have more people on the record speaking about it across the globe, we're realising more and more how people are just blocked full stop from becoming a high performer because of imposter syndrome. So it really can be both. The difference is, though, that I'll highlight for you since you brought that up is if you are a high performer with imposter syndrome, it means that you are functioning in spite of the fear, but with that, can come higher levels of shame, what we call high-functioning anxiety, stress levels, cortisol, because you're kind of throwing yourself in the imposter syndrome fire a lot more. 
Whereas if it is blocking you from succeeding, you're still there feeling, of course, very upset, still potentially debilitated by it, but you're not stepping out of your comfort zone. So you're not triggering yourself as often as you might someone who is a high performer. So I just wanted to highlight the different ways that it can impact on you. But there are a lot of high performers. You mentioned before Mike Cannon-Brooks, they're CEOs, there are you know, multi-millionaires on the record talking about imposter syndrome. It doesn't discriminate. Those people on the record are super important because what it shows you is that no amount of success can outrun imposter syndrome if you yourself don't get an understanding of it and a handle on how it might be affecting you. So we can't run away from it. It will come back and, and sort of chomp at our heels as we go. So tell me then about, let's get into the, dig into that a little bit more, because some people just say, oh, it's just self-doubt. We've all got that. What's your kind of view of that when people say, oh, it's just self-doubt, like get over it. Everyone has self-doubts. Everyone has imposter syndrome. What's your kind of take on those like flippant comments? So my take is we don't. The global statistics still show that it's around 70-ish percent of individuals in their lifetime who will experience imposter syndrome, and some only experience it at certain points in their lives or careers, whilst others experience it often and frequently, depending on their environments, depending on what type of work they choose to do, depending on their personality, their relationships. So there are all these other factors that come into play. So what I like to say to those comments is, firstly, no, not everyone experiences imposter syndrome. I meet and coach incredible people who don't experience imposter syndrome because I'm working with them on other bouts of fear and doubt or perhaps their confidence and other things that I work on. So it's not a fancy term for self-doubt or self-esteem. It's something entirely different. And a key differentiator to look for is imposter syndrome is when we, as the individual experiencing it, feel unworthy of our success, our accomplishments, you know, and things that we have achieved. So imposter syndrome is very much a self reflection and an attack on our own self-worth, whereas self-doubt predominantly focuses with our ability to perform a task or something that's in front of us, but you're not necessarily criticizing yourself. So the imposter syndrome is, I am not worthy. I could never possibly do that. I could never be as good as Michelle. So you're constantly challenging your identity with imposter syndrome. With self-doubt, you flip it in terms of, I don't know if I can deliver that presentation. I don't know if I'll know how to launch a podcast because I don't know how to push all the buttons or I don't know how to do all the marketing. So self-doubt is very sort of external focused, although it's about you as well. Imposter syndrome is your own identity. It goes deeper than self-doubt. You're challenging who you are, your own worth as a person, your own levels of competence. So that is a key distinct factor that I like to highlight, of course, in my work because they're not the same thing. There are things that we all do in life, whether that's personally you're about to embark on something a bit different or, you know, through, you know, your career in work. But there are lots of things that we're a bit unsure about and just feeling unsure about something shouldn't make us feel like an imposter, right? It's kind of a natural part of learning new things and, and beginning things and stuff. But tell me more a little bit about how you would diagnose imposter syndrome, like within ourselves, for those that are listening and then saying, well, actually, no, I've just got a bit of self-doubt or I'm just a little bit unsure or actually, no, I might have imposter syndrome because of those reasons. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's about listening firstly to your own internal dialogue. So how we're speaking to ourselves and how we're truly feeling. So if you want to know if you're experiencing imposter syndrome, the key, I guess the top of the pyramid to look out for is that you are plagued at key times or potentially all the time 
with a feeling that you're going to be exposed. A feeling that you're going to be exposed as not knowing enough as not being good enough or as some sort of intellectual fake, phony or fraud, as opposed to just somebody saying, hey, I'm not sure if you can launch that podcast or do that particular talk because such and such has more experience. So I'll do a very quick example for you because I think this is a really key point in people self-analyzing, which I, I highly recommend when they're listening to credible information. So let's use the example of I have imposter syndrome or I'm trying to work out whether it's imposter syndrome or self-doubt. I have the opportunity to launch a podcast or go on a podcast. If I'm experiencing a bout of self-doubt, I might be saying to myself, oh, gosh, I'm not sure if I can launch that podcast because I'm not sure what buttons I've got to push. I don't know what technology to use. Not sure how I'm going to do the marketing. Not sure if I've got the right skill set, right? And you start to go down that sort of practical view of can you actually do the thing? But if I had imposter syndrome and I had the opportunity to launch a podcast, the dialogue would be very different. It would be like this. Oh my goodness, I can't possibly launch a podcast because if I do that, everybody's going to know that I've been fooling them this whole time. They're all going to know I actually don't know what I'm talking about, or I'm going to slip up on that podcast and they're going to realize how inept and stupid I am, that I'm actually not worthy of having a podcast. So if you can see the difference in the dialogue is imposter syndrome is very internalizing, internally hypercritical. Self-doubt is very much, I'm doubting my ability to do something, but I'm not necessarily bringing my whole authentic self or worth down along the way. So there are key moments that really shift on, am I having a moment of self-doubt or am I having a moment of imposter syndrome? And for everyone listening to this, you may have both. If you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you will absolutely doubt yourself. I just want to highlight that. But if you are experiencing or doubting yourself, you don't necessarily have imposter syndrome. So we want to look for that differentiation line or differentiator, I should say, of are you attacking your self-worth by saying, I'm about to be found out. Soon they're going to know that I'm a fake or a phony or I've been fooling them this whole time. We want to look for that particular key language to associate it with imposter syndrome. And what are the kind of key tips then that you would say to people? Okay, you've identified it, it is actual imposter syndrome. What are some of the things people can do at home if they identify that and to help them through, you know, those kind of bouts of feeling that sort of, I guess it's a form of anxiety, isn't it? Anxiety definitely comes along with it. So yes, so majority of people who experience imposter syndrome do have key moments of anxiety because it's that constant fear of being found out. Right, and we, we start to say really nasty things to ourselves. So a lot of people talk about the inner critic or that inner voice. And when you have imposter syndrome, that inner critic is relentless and often plays on autopilot. It's the same thought. It's that same negative talk going on and on because you really believe it. Right, Imposter syndrome attacks your belief system. You truly believe you're not good enough, even though you usually have a mountain of evidence to prove that you actually are good enough. You just can't see it because you're blocked by this fear and limiting belief. So in terms of what people can do listening to this, and this is the same whether you're a woman or a man or whoever you choose to identify, because as I said, imposter syndrome does not discriminate, is the key things to look out for are what I just shared around that, which way is that self-talk going? If you're really being hypercritical on yourself and your identity and it's imposter syndrome, then the next thing you need to ask yourself is when did it start? So I call this your origin story. So I shared a little bit more earlier about my origin story. It stemmed from my childhood. It stemmed from an abusive upbringing, not feeling worthy, abandoned by my mother, and that manifested and went through into my adulthood. Now, not everyone's story 
is linked to childhood trauma like that. I just want to be really clear. But I want you to take a moment to take yourself back to the first moment you felt this way. You could have been in college. You could have been in your first job, your second job, whenever it was. Taking yourself back to that moment is really critical because it's about understanding what made you feel this way. And then the second step after that is to understand what type of behaviours have you engaged in because you feel this way. So for some of you, it might have led you to become a perfectionist where you fixate on every single detail because you're scared that you're going to be found out as not being good enough. So you're overcompensating or overworking and those sorts of things out of fear of being exposed. You know, it could send you into chronic rumination cycles where you're constantly overthinking and stalling yourself and therefore leading to procrastination because you're fearful of making a move because that imposter voice in your head is telling you you're only one conversation away or one podcast away from being exposed as a fraud, right, which is what imposter syndrome does. So I want you to take yourself back to your origin story, figure out when it started, therefore calculate how long you've been experiencing these types of feelings. I want you to think about the behaviours, so all of the negative behaviours that you're in at the moment or what we call cycles of behaviours. And then the third tip that I'll give you is I want you to find somebody that you trust to start to talk about these things, which brings me back to the beginning of this episode where it's about elevating the conversation around imposter syndrome because it's estimated to impact around 70% of individuals in their lifetime. So someone that you trust in your circle of trust, in your network, the chances are they're experiencing these thoughts and feelings as well. So normalising that conversation, sharing it with someone you trust in a psychologically safe environment is going to help you get it from your head out into verbal because we can't combat imposter syndrome by staying in our head because our head's overtaken by those automatic negative thoughts that are telling us we're not good enough. So there's sort of three critical phases I recommend that anyone listening to this goes through to begin with. And then outside of that, of course, seek help from specialists in this area, coaches or people that you believe can help you and you can make your own assessment. There's lots of great people out there. It certainly doesn't have to be me who then you can go away and get some accountability with and has the tools and the frameworks to help you work through this at greater depth. Because the thing about imposter syndrome is it's not an overnight fix. Yeah, gotcha. The whole time you're talking there, I'm listening, thinking, Wait, what's my origin story? Because I know I've had it. And going, I was thinking about different jobs that I've had that, you know, I was kind of thrown into and I wasn't ready. The typical, you know, oh, no, I'm only 90% there. Like typical kind of female voice of going through and not applying for a job until I'm 100% ready. You know, my kind of typical things were overworking you know, things that I would do so much more and put more hours in and, you know, like work on weekends because I'm like, well, you know, I need to make sure that I'm good enough to do this job because I'm not sure, you know, to your point, they're going to find out that actually they picked the wrong person and I wasn't the right person for this job or, yeah, it's fascinating. But, yeah, going through my mind as you're talking, it'd be a really good thing for me to actually go offline and actually think about this, of those kind of elements that you've just talked through. That's really helpful. Thanks, Alison. So we've talked about what it is and how to kind of identify what is it not and so I think I want to sort of tackle now it's getting more and more you know talked about and more prevalent and people are aware of imposter syndrome there was an article I read recently in the Harvard Business Review which is stop telling women that they have imposter syndrome and that's by Rashika and Jodi Ann um, American experts or you know writers in this field 
you know, it's mostly the article is around, you know, women and women of colour especially. But I'm curious about your view of that around, you know, they're saying about fixing biases, not fixing women, because people keep saying, oh, it's women that suffer from um, imposter syndrome mostly. So I'd love your view on that article, if you've read it, and, you know, what your take is on that, and also then sort of busting some of those myths around this topic as well. Yeah, absolutely. And firstly, I think the article is very well written and shines a spotlight on elements such as environmental factors that play a part in imposter syndrome, certainly systematic racism and other forms of biases and barriers that hold women back in business. And the two women that wrote it are obviously very accomplished and they wrote a great piece. So I want to start with that. In terms of their expertise on imposter syndrome, though, neither one of them is an expert in imposter syndrome. So it is very much an opinion piece, which, of course, they have the right to write as an opinion piece. But although the title Stop Telling Women, you know, they have imposter syndrome is quite a broad title, the overall article is very specific in around the treatment of women of colour and some of the systematic biases and racism that exists in the markets that they're talking about. And those things are very real. So I guess to answer your question is that when I first read that article outside of just the the positive things that I just shared, the article is very hyper-focused on, as I said, focusing on women of colour, which is super important. And it does raise the elements around social and environmental and conditioning and messaging, and they are also very important. But what it does, in my view, is it blurs the line somewhat because to me when I read it, it makes it sound like imposter syndrome, again, this is just my view, of course, this is my voice on the article, that imposter syndrome, you only experience it because you're in an environment where there is biases or there is racism. And that's not true. So imposter syndrome is a very big and complex topic. And there are men, women, non-binary or however you choose to identify people who experience imposter syndrome, who work in wonderful and supportive environments, who aren't on the end of all of that. So We can't pigeonhole imposter syndrome. It's okay to then break off the areas and focus on them, such as the impact on women of colour or women in general versus everyone who experiences imposter syndrome in that 70-odd percent. But I do find that the way that the article has been spoken about and the way that it has been shared and certainly the gazillion opinion pieces that have flown off the back of it, that it does blur the lines. And when you blur the lines, what's really dangerous about that is the wrong information is getting to people who actually need to receive the right information because they're suffering under the hands of imposter syndrome. It's really interesting and it's really important. Yeah, it's great to actually understand your view of someone that works in this space and has worked in this space for years. It's fascinating. So thank you for sharing that. That's right. It's done well, as I said, to raise the awareness. And I want to be really clear, I guess, the takeaway that I wanted to share with you is imposter syndrome is about the individual, but it's very much about your social and your environmental circumstances as well. It is a 360 degree view. So I want to be very clear that if you're experiencing imposter syndrome and you work in an environment where you are under some form of discrimination or bias or gender-based barrier, then yes, your imposter syndrome is going to be triggered and triggered often. But you can equally experience imposter syndrome when you're in a safe and supportive environment. So what really matters is getting to your specific form of imposter syndrome and knowing that What's written in that HBR article might not necessarily apply to you and might not necessarily be the type of advice that you need in order to overcome your imposter syndrome. And regardless of what the HBR article says or other articles out there, environment plays a key factor, but is not the only factor. So that's something that I want to share as well. And environments change 
what's really important is you as the individual as well learn how to manage your own imposter syndrome because it's not your fault you're experiencing it but there's a lot of power in you taking responsibility in what you can control you can't always control your work environment but you control the actions that you take to try and help yourself overcome it so I guess they're probably the key things I wanted to share um, today on that particular piece. No, fantastic. That's really good to get your kind of aspect of it. And I read it and I found it fascinating and had also listened to the Brene Brown interview where she interviewed both ladies and um, she's very passionate about it as well. But to your point earlier around the shame piece, I think that's kind of really relevant for Brene to kind of have that view from the piece. But one of the other things I wanted to know was what are the other kind of myths, I guess, around this topic? What are the kind of things that you think are important to dispel? I think the key ones we've already really covered in this chat, it's just that it's not a fancy term for self-doubt or low self-esteem, that it is a standalone fear that is debilitating for many individuals. And the other thing I want everyone to know who may not know is that imposter syndrome was first, or the term imposter phenomenon was first coined in the 1970s. So this has been researched, discussed, spoken on, continues to be researched for nearly 50 years. So it's not a passing thing or not something that we can just click our fingers at and get rid of. It is a real thing. It's not all in your head if you're experiencing it. Unfortunately, it's not a quick fix because with it being linked to our own sort of identity and really deep self-limiting beliefs that we have, we can't just click our fingers and break the cycle of imposter syndrome, but it's not a lifelong sentence either. So that's something that I want to share. Individuals can start moving through their own imposter syndrome after a matter of four, five, six key focus weeks of work, a couple of months for others, and perhaps a year or two for others, depending on your origin story and depending on how ingrained these negative thoughts, habits and behaviours are in you caused by your imposter syndrome. So I guess the biggest myth I'll dispel is it's not a one size fits all. So people like to talk about imposter syndrome and say, hey, just do these three things, just do this, just do that. It's not a one size fits all, which is why, you know, I've built an entire, well, certainly the last eight years and the last three years of my own business, purely working with people on imposter syndrome and confidence. Yeah, it's it's much, much deeper and layered than that. So seek the right help from people that you believe have the expertise to help you. And there are many great people out there. Perfect. That's fantastic. Thank you for um, clarifying that. So I want to just cover off, you are a certified life coach in the applied neuroscience and brain health sector, which sounds so fascinating to me. So just kind of a bit of a step aside of what is the most interesting work or things around kind of neuroscience and brain health that you love? Obviously, it's an area you're really passionate about. What I'm really fascinated about and imposter syndrome is a type of fear is just how we as humans process fear, how fear works in our brains and bodies and how fear holds us back from achieving what we want to achieve. So my greatest passion is helping individuals push through fear so they can go on and achieve the success that they truly desire and deserve. So I'm really passionate about you know understanding fear and helping us push past that. And fear is wired into our brain, back to your question. And so When I commenced my own journey with imposter syndrome eight years ago, you know, researching and eventually going on now to be an expert in that area, I realised along the way that to change these deeply ingrained self-limiting beliefs, mindset work or just affirmations on their own and other things isn't enough. 
because we actually have to rewire our brains. And we do that through a process called neuroplasticity, which is just a fancy term for our brain's ability to build and develop new neural pathways, right? So we can teach ourselves to do new things. We can break negative habits and behavioral cycles that are sort of imprinted into our brain now and that are on autopilot. And we can intercept those and then create new pathways to positive action. And in order to combat imposter syndrome, we need to do that. So that's really where, in a nutshell, the fascination come from. In order to do that, of course, I wanted to be certified and continue my education in that space, which is super important to me. So I embarked on obviously my certification that you just mentioned and ongoing, I continue to be an ongoing student of neuroscience. So I can learn more and more about how the brain works and how we can break these negative subconscious or automated patterns. So I can apply that to my work with imposter syndrome and confidence. So we must do what I call source-based change for things like imposter syndrome and fear. So we can't just treat the symptoms. We can't just treat the fact that we overwork or we're a perfectionist, or all these symptoms of imposter syndrome, we have to treat the source. How did we get there in the first place? I always use the really basic but powerful analogy of, you know, building a house. We've got to start with the foundations or the slab first. And when it comes to imposter syndrome or fear, we've got to start with how is fear programmed in our brain? Is it physical or psychological fear? You know, is it real danger or is it just driven by our psychological elements? And then how do we rattle the foundations of those so then we can build new action cycles or new networks to be able to get us to where we want to be and out of the negative and really into the positive. So we we need to do brain-based change for that. And that's where I'm spending and continue to spend a lot of time behind the scenes, of course, on my own credentials and experience. So I can bring that work to my clients, whether they're individuals or the organizations that I work with as well. Amazing. So the way people can contact you is going to be all in the show notes and um, people can find out more about you from your website, which is alisonshamir.com. That's right. It's been so enlightening to talk to you today. Thank you for shedding light on this really interesting, important topic. And I think that the listeners today will get so much out of that, if nothing else, to understand this a little bit more and maybe identify a couple of things in themselves that they could potentially look at working on this year, which is really exciting to start the year off and, uh, you know, approach things a little bit differently. So thanks so much, Alison, for chatting to me today. Absolute pleasure, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me on your wonderful podcast. And to everyone who's listening, I really hope there's some valuable tips in there for you. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favor? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.